the text we're looking at, Jeremiah 4, verses 19 through 22, it's all about Jeremiah's emotions. Uh, he is, just look how it starts, my bowels, my bowels. Uh, the Hebrews, when the Hebrews would communicate, and they would use this phrase, my bowels, to, it, it's, it's talking about my inner, the deepest part of me. Uh, physically, the bowels, uh, that's, that's what it is, but they use this term to describe the innermost part of someone's being. Um, it's the seat of the strongest emotions, uh, whether it's fear, sorrow, sympathy. It would be like us saying, from the depths of my soul. And so what Jeremiah is communicating is so heartfelt. And he is, he is moved now into a place where the weeping prophet comes out, he is totally engulfed in the the oracles that God has given him, the message, the visions of destruction, of coming judgment. You know, God has already made it so clear. He has preached it to the people of Judah. He's used Israel as example, the northern tribes, which this is like, you know, history repeats itself. Clearly that happened there because... The, the older prophets had preached to Israel and they the same message as Jeremiah, you need to repent, you need to forsake these idols, these false gods. Stop embracing the, the pagan idolatries of the land or God is going to judge you and he's going to use another nation. And he already did that. They didn't listen. Assyria came, took Israel, the northern kingdom, captive and now Judah is next. And... He is, so, so he has these visions. He's already communicated it. He sees the armies coming. Uh, he'll be spelling, out, spelling it out later that it will be Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon that God is going to use to fulfill this judgment. But Jeremiah has this picture in his mind. He can't get it out of his mind. And so we see an emotional response from somebody that is called to minister to other people who aren't taking their faith seriously. So let's look at what, what happens. Again, it's Jeremiah's fainting fits. And I submit to you, Jeremiah's fainting fits should have been Judah's fainting fits. But they never quite got there. So let's listen to the anguishing soul of this prophet Jeremiah. My bowels my bowels, my inner being, the deepest part of me. I am pained at my very heart. My heart maketh noise in me. And the idea is, you know, it's palpitating. You, you know, his heart is pounding is the way we would say it today. Uh, this is visibly, physically affecting him. He said, I cannot hold my peace because thou hast heard, O my soul, What's he heard? Everything he's been preaching to them. He's been, what's, what have been the picture? The picture has been of coming judgment, that there's going to be a nation. Remember the, the watchmen and all that? He's, the trumpet has sounded and, and all this he's been preaching. It's, it's going to happen if they don't repent and it is affecting him. I can't hold my peace because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war, Destruction upon destruction is cried. It's an interesting phrase. Um, 
But let's just talk, first of all, about this, my bowels, my bowels, at my very heart, my heart maketh the noise in me. Uh, these, again, Jeremiah's fainting fits. Here's a man called to minister, and it is affecting his very being. You know, I remember, and I will, I'm glad that I experienced this, that when I first got saved, I was a young man in my 20s. I got saved when I was 17, and I floundered around looking for a Bible-believing church. Ended up a couple of years after that, so I was in my early 20s, you know, when I really started getting grounded and being taught the Word of God. And I remember my pastor, um, I, I can't, I'll, I'll never forget this. It seemed like, he probably only did it a couple times, but it seemed like he would talk about discouragement a lot. And I remember as a young man, you know, and I was so into, I, I, I just, I was a sieve, soaking up the Word of God. I had never heard the Bible expounded like that, verse by verse, and preaching, and, and this was just awesome to me. So I'm sitting under the Word, just taking it all in, just marveling, and then he talks about discouragement. And I could relate to so many things that he said. And it sounded like from the, you know, my, my kids were talking about this with our church, that it, when I was at Bible Baptist in Westchester, you have certain people that respond audibly to the message, and they'll go, hmm, right? And my kids, because I don't hear you from up here, but my kids said, here are the mmers of our congregation, and they'll hear it, you know. And, uh, and, and it, it's interesting, but we had them too. And I remember when he would talk about discouragement, I guess there'd be a lot of mmms. But you know who, who never did that? Me. And I remember I thought, I, I can't relate to that. Now, maybe I've thought about this many times. Maybe it was because just I was a young upstart, you know, I'm in my early 20s, late teens when I got saved. And, and uh, you know, maybe I never knew better, but I had never experienced discouragement. I grew up in a happy home, had a lot of love. Uh, I had never, ever experienced discouragement. And so I, that was the one thing I could not relate to. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. I wonder what that's like. And then I went into the ministry. <laughs> and, and I understood you know, and it gave me a it gave me a, a heart for my pastor because I I understood what he was going through, and so now you probably hear me talk about that a lot, and and you know maybe some of you I know some of you when I talk about discouragement and all some of you go hmm, but maybe you're some that you can't relate to that. Well, I could tell you one man that could relate to that, and that's Jeremiah, because not only was he a minister, so he understood you know there's when you're called to ministry. You're called to minister to people. It's a different level of spiritual intensity. I've tried to communicate this. I went in the pastorate for three years as a young man, and I felt something that I would say was a spiritual intensity that I had never experienced. And then we took a year off before we started this, worked in a clothing factory, worked many, many hours, and we worked very hard. But it was, it was like a vacation in the Bahamas, <laughs> emotionally speaking. It was like that, that three years of intensity when I was a pastor suddenly lifted. And I'm like, this is, this is incredible. And then I went back into ministry, and I felt that it, it, it's hard to communicate. And if you've never been a pastor, you know, I'm, I'm sure you can't understand that. 
But the person that articulated that the most was Charles Spurgeon in his, in his book, Lectures to My Students. And I want to read to you, I've read this quote many times, uh, and I'm probably just like my pastor talking about discouragement, because you know he could relate to that. But when I read Spurgeon's words, after years of ministry, I thought, he gets it. He understands. So let's, and if you can, because maybe you can't relate, maybe you're like me when I was younger, and you cannot relate. Maybe you've never been discouraged one moment in your life. And, and praise God. But I want let's let's just peel it back and, and see what Jeremiah must have experienced. Because not only was he just a minister called to represent God, he was called to people that didn't want anything to do with his message. Now Spurgeon, and here it's interesting because I'm going to share with you the words of Charles Spurgeon who, humanly speaking, was the envy of all the preachers in England at the time. Because he was the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Thousands upon thousands would come to hear him preach. And a lot of times, pastors will you know, find affirmation in the people that come to hear him. And, and you know, a lot of pastors of smaller churches like us, we would look at that and think, man, Spurgeon must have been so encouraged to be able to preach to thousands of people. And yet, listen to what he experienced. He wrote to those he was training for ministry. He said, As it is recorded of David in the heat of battle, he waxed faint. So may it be written of all the servants of the Lord. Fits of depression come over the most of us. The strong are not always vigorous. The wise not always ready. The brave, not always courageous, and the joyous, not always happy. And then he articulated, in the most concise way, the burdens of a minister who's, who's trying to reach people for the Lord. And that was Jeremiah. Listen to what he said. To see the hopeful turn aside. These are the, these are the sources for Charles Spurgeon, and really many ministers... He, these are the things that can cause incredible fainting fits, great seasons of discouragement. To see the hopeful turn aside. Now, who are the hopeful? You know, every time somebody gets saved, they become the hopeful. You know, somebody makes a profession of faith, and we look at them and we think, there's someone who I am hopeful is going to go on for God. And, and every time it happens. And to see the hopeful turn aside. <laughs> and we are living in that day. And Jeremiah, even more so, was living in that day. To see the hopeful turn aside. To see the godly grow cold. We've been here for 31 years. And I can think of people that sat in the pews, these chairs, even when we were another, we used these chairs. People that sat in these very chairs that no longer have any interest. They have grown cold to the things of God. To see professors, professing Christians, abusing their privileges. And I can, not many, praise the Lord, but there are a few professing believers that have indeed uh, abused their privileges. Uh, you know, praise God. What a blessing. Being a pastor, and I want to share this with you. Being a pastor is awesome. I, I still remember my pastor saying, you really don't become a pastor of people until you see their, their, 
the birth of their children and you bury their dead. In other words, you're there for their life. And what a blessing to be able to see. Um, and by the way, I might as well announce now while I'm thinking of it, and she's already gone public. Speaking of sweetie, she's expecting. And for those of you who don't know, uh, my daughter Bridget is expecting. So we're going to be grandparents. Kind of around the same time that sweetie is going to be expecting. Uh, but we have seen so many people have children, and what a blessing that is. And then to see those kids grow up. And then to see them become men. You know, or I'm thinking of uh, Joey Keogh. I remember, I won't go into this, but I was standing outside the old building. There was a fire across the street, and there was a, a, a fireman standing there looking at the, the, you know, the action had settled down. And we got talking, and he, you know, we were talking for a while. He was just a fireman. And then he looked at me, a grown man, and he said, Pastor Lyon, you don't know who I am, do you? And I, I hate when people say that. Because I looked at him, I'm like, you're a fireman. You're putting out this fire. He said, I am Joey Keogh, who was a, he was a little boy that grew up in our church with his brother. And that's when I had my midlife crisis, and I've had millions of them since then. But, you know, what a blessing to be able to see the young people grow up and to, to see them married off and, and to bury their dead. What an honor it has been for me to walk people right up to the edge as they go on the other side. It's, been, it's a blessing to me uh, to pastor people and safely see them go home to be with the Lord. And there's been so many precious people that I really wish never passed to the other side. Uh, but what a, what a privilege. What an honor to do that. Spurgeon goes on. Um, sinners, to see sinners waxing more bold in sin. Are not these sights enough to crush us to the earth? Yes, they are. Now I understood a little bit about you know what the burden of my pastor was. And anyone that, that, that cares for people, that invests in people, that loves people, genuinely you want to see people succeed for the Lord. And when you don't, when they don't, it crushes you. And then he goes on, he says, All mental work tends to weary and to depress. For much study is a weariness of the flesh. But ours is more than mental work. It is heart work. The labor of our inmost soul. How often on Lord's Day evenings do we feel as if life were completely washed out of us? After pouring out our souls over our congregations, we feel like empty earthen pitchers which a child might break. And I've shared my heart with you folks that, uh, I don't know what it is, <laughs> even Spurgeon struggle with it. Uh, that's for some reason there's a build-up. You pray, you study, you're, you're, you're looking forward to the time, your main feeding time of Sunday where you feed the flock, and it's, it culminates, and then Sunday night, boo! You know, there's a, I don't know, maybe, maybe we always expect like 50 people to get saved, 300 people to show up. You know, I, I don't know, but that, it just, it's the way it is. And here's what's interesting. I want to share in a few minutes another pastor who... This is Charles Spurgeon. He's the guy that multitudes of pastors would say, you never get discouraged. And yet, actually, towards the end of his life, he seriously battled major depression issues. And, and Spurgeon had everything that every pastor would have envied. And I'll share an example of one such pastor in England that did envy him in a little bit. But let's jump in back here in Jeremiah chapter 4. Look at verse 20. Destruction upon destruction. And the idea of that is um, 
that, that one catastrophe comes after another. And the idea of it is the tidings of destruction come like, like one after another. And when I read that, I immediately thought of the life of Job. Do you remember what happened on that day in Job's life? You know, where he got a message that some tragedy happened. Some servant came and gave him bad news. And no sooner was he done talking than another servant came and the whole day he lost everything. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when I think destruction upon destruction, that was definitely Job. But this is what is in Jeremiah's mind because he, know he knows this is what's ahead for the people of Judah. He's been preaching to them. He's been preaching their, his heart out. He's wanted to see them repent. And they're just ho-hum. They're not taking it seriously. They didn't think it was going to happen. But believe me, Jeremiah, he experienced the deepest emotion. His fainting fits, his his deepest groanings in his heart should have been the experience of every person in Judah. And it would have been appropriate. You know, when we think of these emotions that Jeremiah had, they're not positive emotions. He's pained. His heart is beating. He's, he's, he's overwhelmed. He's, he's anxious. He's sad. He's depressed. But folks, these are the things that when someone's not right with God, they need to go through those emotions to get right with God. And instead, the man of God goes through these emotions and they became exempt from them suddenly. So verse 20, destruction upon destruction is cried. For the whole land is spoiled the spoils of war, they were plundered. Uh, in other words, this is, this is all what's going to happen when Babylon would come and would totally, you know, they would win, they would plunder, they would destroy, they would, they would take everything. Uh, and so he said, the land is spoiled. Suddenly are my tents spoiled. You know, they were living in tents. All, all their personal things were plundered. And my curtains in a moment... You know, these are, these are all the things that would provide security and privacy. And he's just knowing what's going to happen. Everything that gave us security, everything that gave us privacy, everything that we had found comfort in, it's gone in a moment. And Jeremiah was actually living as if it was happening right then and right there. And unfortunately, the people didn't get it. Verse 21 how long shall I see the standard? Remember the standard? The banner, the ensign, the, you know, the, the banner of the flags, what we would use in our military. I see the standard. I hear the trumpet, the sound of the trumpet. Now look at verse 22. For my people is foolish. They have not known me. They are sottish. Sottish is an interesting term. It, it speaks of someone that is, and here's what the one dictionary I looked up, Stupid or foolish as one who has uh, taken too much alcohol. So that's the idea of this word. And that was these people. They have not known me. They are sottish children. They have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. And beloved, that is describing America more and more. And sadly, it is also describing God's people more and more. You know, Paul would write in in Romans 16 and verse 19, here's what he wanted for Christians. 
He said, For I would have you to be wise unto that which is good, and simple or foolish here concerning evil. So the, what Paul was saying, what, what the Christians should have, is we should be wise, wise to that which is good, and simple or ignorant concerning evil. Judah was just the opposite. They were so up on the latest crude jokes and, and foul, obscene things. They knew the depths of depravity and they had no clue on things that were whole. You know, uh, Paul, think of Philippians 4.8. Things which are true and just and pure and lovely and of good report, it wasn't part of their life. How sad. And that's what happens when you're far from God. So, I shared with our folks, I don't know if it was on a Sunday or might have been on a Wednesday, that uh, I've been so blessed by so many of you uh, reaching out to, to me over the loss of my parents. And, uh, and, and one of the reasons I love the state fellowship of the Bible-believing Baptist churches all across Pennsylvania is there's so many, so many precious, godly people uh, and, and, and so many pastors have reached out to me and uh, one pastor, and I kind of, here's a guy uh, in, from Jersey Shore, Pennsylvania, whose father is a pastor. Wow. I, I'm a little envious there, you know. I mean, he's, he was sharing this with me, um, and I can't imagine. I would have loved to have had him. I had an awesome dad. My dad was a God-fearing man. I praise God for my dad. Uh, but I can't imagine this guy's father is a pastor. And, um, you know, he would go to him often. And I was sharing with, with Brother Jeff uh, something, a challenge I was going through. And he said this, and I, I want to make this clear because it actually um, he uses some of the lingo. Jeremiah starts speaking as if he's speaking on behalf of God. In fact, look at verse 22. For my people, my people. Now, God could say that. But I believe Jeremiah was saying this too. Not in an arrogant way. Now, I have seen, sometimes pastors will talk about their congregation and, and many times I've heard this where they're just, they're humbly, lovingly talking about their congregation. Not in an arrogant way, but it, it comes across that way to people that aren't pastors. And they'll say, my people. And I've heard many people, that guy's, you know, talking about his church congregation like they're my people. They're not, they're not your people. They're God's people. I get that. You know, and, and I don't think you could say this with Jeremiah. But so, so my pastor friend's dad, who's a pastor, said this. He said, you need, and understand, he said, you need to hold on to your people loosely. Or to, if that offends you, he, he's told his son, you need to hold on to the congregation loosely. And in other words, and this, think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet because he loved these people. He wanted to see them succeed. He wanted to see them go on for God. And, and as I said in the beginning, when the, all the commentaries that I've read, uh, several of them said he didn't make one convert. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Jeremiah didn't make one convert. You know, that, that, that people just rejected him outright. And they all, and even he, went off into Babylonian captivity because they did not listen, listen to his, his message. That could have torn Jeremiah apart, and, and it did emotionally. 
But this idea of, what's it mean? You, got, you need to hold on to your people loosely. And it suddenly dawned on me. I shared this recently too, that I, I, for many years, uh, I prayed for our kids. And I hope if you have kids that you pray. And uh, so for many years, I prayed for God, protect my daughters. God, protect my sons. And not too long ago, it dawned on me that, I, that even my wording was wrong. And it has a lot to do with it. It's like God told me all of a sudden, you're praying for your children? They're my children. And all of a sudden it dawned on me. And so now I've changed. I no longer pray for my son, my sons or my daughters. I pray for, I say, Lord, protect your sons. Because they are, they belong to God. And the same is true for the congregation. And and that's what the pastor means when he says, hold on to your people loosely. And I've had to do that. You get so attached to people. Every one of you I am attached to. And if I ever said something that offended you and you walked off in a huff, it would devastate me. Because my, my goal has never been to offend people, and yet I have become professional at that. You know, <laughs> just preach the word, and it's going to happen. Uh, but I, I, I just can't get over that. And I've had to realize, well, wait a minute, they're not my people. They're not. They're God's people. And, and the idea of holding on to people loosely is, you know what, they're, they're God's business. And Jeremiah, uh, he would not have lasted, I can say this, Jeremiah would not have lasted the length of time that he did if he did not learn in some way to hold on to the Jewish people loosely. Paul had that too. Remember Paul said, I, w- I could wish myself would be accursed for my kinsmen according to the flesh. He prayed, if if it were possible, he would lose his own salvation so that they might be saved. Doesn't work that way. And so Paul, in a sense, had to hold on to the Jews loosely. And I assume that Jeremiah did too. And so he, he, he laments here, My people is foolish. They have not known me. They are sottish children. So let's close with this, this thought that they were foolish. It reminds me of Galatians. Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. So Paul understood, and these people were buying into false teaching, the Judaizers, and trying to get them back under the law. And Paul was devastated. He said, O foolish Galatians. In much the same way as Jeremiah said, O foolish people and without understanding. Many years ago, I received a letter from a foreign country that I had never been, from a pastor from a foreign country, and it, it came out of the blue. And he said, the reason for this letter is because I heard, and then he named the name of a missionary, He said, I heard this person saying that everything in our country is fine. He had come back to the States and was planning to go back to this country. And he said, everything's fine and they are waiting for me to go back. And and this man, this pastor with a broken heart, he said, this is not true. The truth is, is that this brother is under discipline from three churches. And uh, I had gotten a call actually from his sending church. The church that was his authority. And he was under church discipline. 
And um, he said, uh, he is not welcome back in our ministry until he is truly restored with fruits, meat for repentance. He must correct this problem of discipline with, and then he named the pastor. And, and, and it was sad. You know, here, here's someone that went out with great hope under the authority of a local church, got into some trouble, and didn't make things right. Remember another story where a man was under church discipline, and he went up to his pastor while he was under that church discipline and in that process, and he told his pastor, he said, I just want you to know that I'm not discouraged. How do you think that pastor took that? It was a slap in the face. Is that something, if you're under church discipline and you're being rebuked, is that the time when you tell someone, I'm not discouraged? No, you should be discouraged. Mm -hmm. If you're living in sin, you should be as down and as heartbroken as possible. There needs to be some emotions. If Jeremiah is the only one that's saying, oh, my soul, my bowels, my bowels, and the people of Israel were supposed to be Judah, they were supposed to be the ones that were experiencing the emotion. They never got there. And they ended up living the judgment. How sad. I want to close by having you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I've mentioned this recently. And in light of what we're talking about in Jeremiah, this is so appropriate. Now Paul wrote something, four letters to the Corinthians. There was 1 Corinthians. Then there's, some think there was a second letter they call the tear-stained letter. Some people think that when Paul in, um, in, in 2 Corinthians, which 2 Corinthians was probably his third letter, and then he makes reference to another letter. So there were up to four letters. We only have 1 and 2 Corinthians somewhere in between there. But there was an issue of discipline. And many believe it was 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul said, There's fornication among you, such as is not named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. Most people believe... It was his stepmother. So a man had a relationship with his stepmother. And and here's the problem. Not only was this a sin, but they weren't treating it seriously. And um, so Paul sat down and wrote a letter. Maybe that letter was 1 Corinthians. Maybe that letter was the second one. But in both, or that one, he spoke some very hard words to them. He said, in fact, um, I think I wrote it down here. He said, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to keep company. No, that's a different place. He said, and you are, the idea is, instead of being discouraged, instead of being broken, and and my bowels, my bowels, I'm pained in my heart. Instead of that, they were puffed up. Like they were boasting in the way they were treating this, this sin situation. And it was, remember how Paul described it. It was a little leaven that was going to leaven the whole lump. It would have spoiled the whole church. So he wrote very strong words. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he writes about this when he sat down to first write to them. And uh, I want to get to the, the key part of this, but look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and beginning in verse 8. 2 Corinthians 7, 8. He says, For though I made you sorry with a letter... I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now there's different words that are used here. And when Paul talks about 
about sorrow or repent, uh, it wasn't that Paul was doing something wrong. The word regret, it would be the one that would fit in here. So he said, though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. That's the idea of that Greek term, not the strong term for repent that we would use. For I perceive that the same epistle, the same letter, hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. So Paul's getting ready to write a letter, just like Jeremiah when he was preaching to, to the people of Judah. You know that there had to be some hesitation as he would anticipate, you know, this isn't going to go over so well. This is not, you know, this is no, um, you know, po- power of positing thinking. You're all doing great. Love you all. Everything's good. You get the thumbs up from God. This was a message of rebuke. You need to repent. And so he knew that there's a good chance he's going to alienate these people. And by the way, Paul could have held back. That wasn't what Paul did. Paul was the kind of guy that um, he said, I did not shun to declare all the word of God to you. There were times where he could have held back, but that is not love. Anyone that tells you what you want to hear, anyone that just smooths things over and doesn't address a serious sin problem you have, is someone that does not love you. So Paul wrote to them. And he said, for I, 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 um, I may... I, I made you sorry with the letter. I, did, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, is the idea. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry. Paul wasn't excited to make people sad. Jeremiah was not excited. If, if the people got the vision of what he said and realized that judgment was coming, uh, it would have ruined their day. But they needed to have their day ruined. You know, because they were heading towards destruction. Now Paul says in verse 9, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us and nothing. In other words, Paul said, it didn't end up hurting you in the long run. So praise God for that. If they had not responded properly, then they would have received damage, and Paul would have forever been their, you know, their enemy. In fact, like the Galatians. Paul told them the truth. And he, he had to say, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? No. So now look what he says, verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing, that you sorrowed after a godly sort. And now here's where he begins to communicate the emotions of repentance. These were people that initially were arrogant, were, were, were condoning something very wrong, and only when they got that stern, seething, rebuking letter did they genuinely humble themselves and go through the emotions that Judah should have gone through. Look what he says. Verse 11. For behold this selfsame thing, that you sorrowed after a godly sort. After a godly sort. He says, what carefulness it wrought in you. And the idea of carefulness was, uh, they had previously been indifferent to evil. Oh, oh, hum. And then when, when Paul rebuked them, they stood back and they said, you're right. You're right. I need to be, 
Carefulness, another word for that is anxious. They became anxious because of their sin. Yea, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Uh, in other words, they, uh, they made things right. They made things right. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. The indignation was against the offender. You know, they were boasting. They were like bragging about this guy. Hey, do you hear what so-and-so's doing in the church? And all of a sudden they're like, no, this is not right. So they, and, and this is what Judah needed. Judah needed to get indignant about their own idol worship. But they didn't. Instead, they're like, hey, you know, we're still worshiping Yahweh. This is kind of, we're just doing it maybe the way the Canaanites did. But our heart's still right with God. And Jeremiah's saying, no, it's not right with God. Yea, what fear, the fear of God. Yea, what vehement desire. Uh, in other words, they had a, a genuine godly desire for this brother to be restored. And I want to tell you something. Every church discipline we've ever had, my goal, my heart, my passion is that that person would be restored. That's, that's, and I think that's all of our heart. Matthew 18, when Jesus talks about if a brother go, sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And what's he saying there? If, if it's responded properly, you gain a brother. That's the goal, always. And praise God, in 1 Corinthians, that's exactly what happens. So, are you discouraged? Normally you'd think, well, don't be discouraged. But folks, if there's something in your life that God is trying to get your attention, and something very serious, then you need to be discouraged, you need to be anxious, not permanently. You, you know, this is the great thing. Jeremiah's very life was Judah's second chance. Judah's opportunity to repent. Year after year after year, Jeremiah preached with tears. And any one of those given days, those people could have repented and been spared the judgment of God. And so, our God is so long-suffering so maybe there's something you need to be anxious about, depressed about, discouraged about. It's all right. Get discouraged enough to deal with your sin and then get it under the blood. Then you cannot be discouraged and you can go on for God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jeremiah. Thank you for his ministry, his very life. Lord, help us. Give us the passion. Give us the passion for souls. Give us the passion for people. Give us the passion to be right with you. Uh, Father, I pray that the same kind of deep emotional pains that Jeremiah felt would be our experience for our lost loved ones, for people that do not know you. May, may our heart break, uh, Father, because people don't have Christ. But in the end run, Lord, we give them over to you. We understand we cannot make people get saved. And some people want to just reject you. That is their choice. But Father, I pray that we would be like Jeremiah and that it would affect us enough to burden our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you for Jeremiah. We pray for your blessing. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, let's take our hymn books out. Let's